Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. There are some days where life looks very different. And for uh, those that are on the Tongan Islands and surrounding, uh, yesterday they had a very different experience um, with the volcanic uh, eruption and the tsunamis. Um, Also, those that were traumatized by what happened in the synagogue in Texas. Um, And then, of course, the recent um, surge that we have with Omicron. And so I think that now would be a great time to maybe just pause and let's just pray uh, for people that that have kind of gone through um, some really difficult things. We want to be able to stand with our brothers and sisters from around the world uh, and across the street. We want to stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters. We want to stand up against violence, evil violence. Um, And so why don't we, can we just stand really quick and and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, because uh, we come to you first and foremost knowing that you are sovereign, knowing, Lord God, that we can trust you. Heavenly Father, even in the midst of seeing great uh, tragedy, Holy Spirit, and, and seeing evil and seeing sin, Lord. And I pray right now for every person that has been impacted by any of the things that we've mentioned today. I pray, God, that you will dispense mercy and peace, God, that you will bring provision to those that are on the islands that need provision, God, that you, Heavenly Father, will bring counsel and, and bring healing to those that were held hostage in the synagogue, Lord God, and, and even those that, that did evil, Lord Lord God, that they will come and give their hearts to you, my King, that there will be redemptive moments throughout these situations, God, that will bring your gospel light and will bring you glory, God. I thank you, Heavenly Father, uh, that we are able to, to stand here, Lord God, and pray on behalf of, Lord God, and I thank you, my King. And Lord God, I pray for today's message, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you just anoint me to speak, Lord God, Heavenly Father, and, and anoint all of us to have ears to hear what you would say in Jesus' mighty name. Amen Amen. and amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. We appreciate it very much. Um, My wife and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we actually did a few different things. We didn't just do one thing. We did a few things, but one of the things we did was we went on a cruise. And that's the first time I had ever been on a cruise. And I remember the first night we were sitting down for dinner and what they did was they kind of sat you with other people. And I don't know how they determined who you sat with, but you were, you know, at this big round table and, and there was like, I don't know, five other couples or something there. And, and uh, we were just kind of talking, getting to know each other. And, and so the waiter comes around and, and begins to take orders. He placed the menu in front of us and looked over. It all looked great. It was like amazing, right? And, uh, and the person in front of me, he's like, I'll have one of everything. And I remember I was like, what? 
One of everything? I was so surprised. I know, can you hear that? Well, we're going to fix it right now. But I was so surprised and I was so excited because the reality was, was I didn't know you could do that on a cruise ship, that you could just say one of everything and they will literally bring you one of everything. And the greatest thing is, is it's already included in your ticket. Like it's already there. And so of course, when he came to me, I was like, one of everything. And Becca looked at me and was like, really, babe? One of everything? I said, yes everything. I want one of it all, right? Why? Because we love food. We love food, right? So much that we even have a term for it uh, that certain people are called foodies, right? Who are basically people who have this avid interest in the latest food fads and gourmets, right? And we are, we are now living in sort of the full commercialization of that reality. We are inundated with advertisements for meal kits and viral videos to make lasagna, right? The internet is crammed with food media, from the heady intellectual uh, heights of the New York Times food section to sort of the rapid fire content of BuzzFeed's Tasty, right? Celebrity chefs are now household names. Uh, the food documentary section is a proper genre in Netflix, or, or I'm actually guilty of this, right? Instagram is sort of the mantelpiece where we place our careful po portraits of, of sort of home chef cosplay, if you will. And so this, it really is this thing about food. We, we just love it. There's something within our culture that gets it. Or, or how about in Lord of the Rings, right? In Lord of the Rings where they're on this journey and Aragon uh, is leading the hobbits and, and at some point the hobbits stop and, and they're like, we got to take a break and we got to rest. And Aragon looks at them and says, there'll be no rest. We're not going to sleep until nightfall or whatever, right? Really militant. And then, and then what's crazy is they kind of get disturbed and they start speaking up and Pippin was like, well, wait a minute, what about breakfast? And Aragon says, you've already had your breakfast. And Pippin says, well, yeah, we had our first breakfast, but what about our second breakfast, <laughs> right? And it's funny because it's true. That's just how we are. Right, right. And so when our culture hears that we're going to talk on a sermon, that our sermon is going to be on a topic called fasting, this is kind of the first thing that happens right here. We tend to run from that reality, don't we? Right. She's not running to the feet of Jesus there, guys. She's running away, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> That's the reality. We are in a series called Rhythms, and, and basically what this series is really about is John records Jesus saying that he is the vine, and you and I, we are the branches, and that as long as we abide in him, that we will produce the kind of fruit that brings him glory, right? And, and, and so the question that automatically comes to our mind is, well, what does it look like then to abide in Jesus? What does that life look like to abide in him? And, and one of the, the ways that we, we describe that is some, with something called a rule of life. And, and in fact, the rule of life to a Christian is what the trellis is to a vine. So if you see a vine and how it grows on a trellis and the trellis helps it grow in the right direction, it lifts it up off the ground to keep it from prey and from different kinds of diseases. So that way it can produce more fruit. It can produce more fruit. And so in this rule of life, we're really looking at our rhythms and we're taking an inventory to, because the reality is, is all of us already have a rule of life. All of us already have rhythms. But when we look at, when we take an inventory of those rhythms, are these rhythms life giving or are they depleting us? 
Are they slowly killing us, suffocating us, choking us out, right? Or, or, or when you look at your rhythms of your life, who are they, who are they forming you to become? And then what we really want to do is we want to invite you to take on some of the rhythms that Jesus Christ says will bring you life, will enable you to produce fruit. Because, it, it, because the reality is this, is that when we take on these rhythms, we're not necessarily doing it for Jesus, but with Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, is that he's inviting you into a relationship with him. You can't live for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. In fact, the most significant transformation that's gonna occur in your life is gonna occur as a Christian over a long period of time, just learning and being faithful to the ordinary rhythms of spiritual Christianity. That's what it's going to do. You know, the, the, how God is going to radically transform your life is, yes, there's going to be these moments of, of sort of super spiritual, you know, experiences, but, but really it's going to be the everyday rhythms of your life, the ordinary means of grace. So when you're on this 30-day journey, maybe last Sunday you were like, yes, I really felt that message, and, and, and you just emotionally felt it, and mentally felt it, and spiritually felt it, and you were like, I'm going to go and conquer the world, right, type of thing. And then Monday came, and Tuesday came, and you go, and you go to pray, or you go to read your Bible, and it just doesn't feel like it felt on yeah. Sunday, Right? Or in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to have my alone time with Jesus. And, and, we're, and, and I'm going to, this is what that experience is going to look like. And you've painted in your mind what it's going to look like. And you saw some, you know, this sort of tranquil place where you're walking in a garden and journaling. And, but the reality is you've stuck yourself in the bathroom and kids are screaming down the hall. You know, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, and here's the thing. Here's the reality about it is that. Rhythms, sometimes we won't have these highly emotionally charged experiences, but we have to be careful. That's good. Come on. And here's why. Um, in those moments of these supernatural or maybe really highly emotional moments that are great and they are beautiful, but here's what can happen. Look what Pastor Richard says in his book, Deeply Formed Life. He says this, we can move from worshiping the living God to worshiping our spiritual experiences. We can go from worshiping the living God to worshiping our, our spiritual experiences. And you say, well, wait a minute. Let me ask, let, let, let's just kind of ask a question inside of our minds. Like, do I worship God or, or do I worship my experience of God, right? And, and often when you ask that, you'll find that what we worship tends to be the experience of God, not necessarily God, right? And you say, well, how can I tell? Well, you can tell because when that experience is no longer there, do you stop? Do you not do it? Do you not engage? Do you not continue the rhythm? That's good. You see what I'm saying? If that's the case, then what you've done is you've moved from worshiping the living God to worshiping the experience of God. And so I just want to encourage you that during these 30 days that we are on this journey, that when you are just feeling like it's just a normal day, you're not, you know, the clouds didn't split open and angels didn't come down and, you know, manna didn't fall from the sky. And you, you know what I'm saying? A, a, a voice of God, whatever that sounds like, didn't come and, and audibly speak to you. Like if that didn't happen, it's okay. Like that's probably not going to happen. And you, are, and you and I can continue to grow in the relationship that Jesus wants us to grow in. And so the second rhythm that we'd love to invite you in is something that we did last Wednesday and we're going to continue to do, which is fasting. 
fasting. Thank you. One person got excited. Yeah, go on. Right. But I knew, I knew this wasn't going to be like, you know, the popular item where everybody's running around and eyelashes are falling off and people are crying and wailing out and, and I'd have to calm everyone down because they were just so hyped up about this topic. Um, but there are a few things I do want to talk about. Four, actually. Can we do four today? Can we stretch it from three to four? Is that okay? Four things. Um, so I want to talk about the problem, the solution, the algorithm, and the result. So the problem, the solution, the algorithm, and the result. So let's start with the problem, the problem. Desire is what some psychologists call the pleasure principle, the pleasure principle, which is the driving motivation of the immature who only want to do what feels good in that moment. Okay, that's the pleasure principle. And it was something that was once reserved for children or maybe even middle schoolers, right? Um, but has now become the new normal in our culture, right? Hence the explosion of debt at a national level or an individual level or, or you know, the rise of divorce or the rise of all kinds of sorts of addictions is because we run our life on this thing called the pleasure principle, yeah, right? Um, but in reality, we're not actually running our lives at all. We're being ran by it. In fact, we're being ran by it, this thing. And, and what the New Testament writers called this thing was our flesh. Yes. Our flesh. Yes. Our flesh. And, I, and I'm going to explain what that is later on. But, but when you look at our culture, especially Bay Area culture, but really just culture in general, you know, uh, every part of our culture is set up to indulge our flesh, literally and metaphysically, right? To entice it, to, to, to you know, attempt to market to it, to promote it, to proselytize it, you know, to draw you in and make a little bit of money on our lack of self-control over our body bodies or even over just our desires, desires, the problem. Well, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter two, and I want you to just see something here. Genesis chapter two, it says this, starting in verse four, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the man became a living being. Now, in this passage, there is a play on words here that in English we don't see, but in Hebrew is very evident. Very evident. In Hebrew, the phrase is Adam, Adam, which is translated here as man, man, or human. Adam is human. Uh, and and what, it, what it means, really, it's not a proper name, even though we do give it a proper name, Adam, but, but it's not really a proper name. But, but, what, but what it means is this, is that humans were made from these Adamah, Adamah, which is the dirt of the ground. In other words, humans were made out of the dust of the earth. There is a symbiotic relationship between humans and the earth. So he's literally made out of the dust. 
At the same time, we also see here that God breathed into this being's uh, nostrils. We breathed into him the breath of life, the breath of life. And in Hebrew, that term breath of life also means spirit. It can mean breath of life and it can mean spirit. It's simultaneous. And so what we begin to see instantly is that what human beings really are is that they are both physical and spiritual. Physical and spiritual. Humans are unique to anything else that God had created. This almost hybrid, you know, if you will, an integrated being of body and spirit, material and immaterial. Now, that theology has a lot to say, that doctrine has a lot to say to our culture and to our Christianity. To our culture, what it says is that we are more than just our bodies, because we're spirit. So we're more than just our body. We are more than just random synopsis firing off in our brain. But to our Christianity, what it says is this, is that, is that your body is also important. It's not just a shell sort of carrying around the real you. And when you get to heaven, this shell's going to shed and, and the real you is going to come out. No, no, no. The Bible says that all of us are going to be resurrected. All of us are going to be physically resurrected and we will have physical new bodies, glorified bodies and spirits. And that will be in the new heaven and the new earth, you see. But something's gone horribly wrong. See, in Genesis chapter 3, it says this. Starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was made more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat only from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat of fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, whether you read that story literally as history or literarily as theology or somewhere in between, one thing is for sure that that means something. That means something. This temptation narrative, this scene that we're seeing says something. And notice this, the temptation isn't actually the food. The temptation is to be able to redefine good and evil, to trust your own instincts, to trust the voice of the serpent in your ear, to be able to come and say, I'm going to be my own God and I'm going to determine what's right and wrong for myself. I'm not going to trust in the vision or what God says. I'm going to be able to only trust me. That's the temptation. That's always been the temptation. But notice the means of the temptation is food, to eat or not to eat right? And that has got to say something about the human condition. Also notice there's an inversion in the story, right? If you, if you read through generous, uh, through Genesis, what you'll know is that humans, male and female were made to rule over the creation. And really there were two categories that we see in Genesis. There's the animal kingdom and there's the plant kingdom, right? You see the animal kingdom and you see the plant kingdom. Well, in the fall, in original sin, is inverted. And human beings are now ruled over by the creation. The serpent that represents the animal kingdom and the fruit that represents the plant kingdom. 
And so creation now has power and authority over human beings. In other words, something has gone wrong. There is a problem. And the body and its desires, not only for food, but for pleasure, has gone wrong. For pleasure. The problem. So what's the solution? Number two, the solution. Well, when Paul writes his letters, he, he says this, he says this, who will save us from this body of death? Who will save us from this body of death? It's a kind of a rhetorical question, but, but who's going to save us? What's the answer, everybody? Thank you. Yes, Jesus. If a pastor ever asks you what the answer is, you can be sure to just say Jesus. And like 90% of the time, he'll have to agree with you. All right. The answer is Jesus. Should we try it again? What's the answer, everybody? Jesus. Oh, great. Wonderful. So check this out. In Matthew chapter four, there's one of these, there's this story about Jesus of Nazareth, right? And, and what he does is he goes and he is, is baptized in water. And then the Bible says that he then is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, not by the devil, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. All right. And, and, and here he is and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. So, you know, he's hungry. And the devil comes in and says, listen, if you're really the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Turn them into bread. So here again, we have another temptation that has to do with food, but not really about food. See, it's not like there's anything wrong with bread. Jesus isn't anti-gluten or anything, right? But rather, there's a temptation under the temptation, and you need to know that whatever you're being tempted by, there is a graver temptation under that temptation. When you're tempted to get, to, to get angry and, and become aggressive or violent or envious or jealous, when you're tempted to lie or tempted to lust, all of those temptations, there's actually a greater temptation, a temptation under the temptation. And so Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy and says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the story goes on. Now, if you're having a little bit of deja vu here, that's actually good. It means that you're reading the Bible well because you're supposed to. Because the writer of Matthew has this in mind. The way Jesus is living this out, there is no doubt. Every theologian points this out, that what Jesus is doing in the desert is a replaying of the Garden Eden narrative all over again. So here's Jesus, what theologians call the second Adam. And here he is as a human being, being face to face with the tempter. And here's the temptation. It's kind of about food, but not really. It's a lot more than that. But unlike Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve failed and where you and I fail and where every human being that has ever lived and ever will leave fails, Jesus succeeds. Jesus succeeds. You see? He succeeds where we were defeated. Jesus was victorious. And in doing so, then he opened up a kingdom for us to be free and for anybody that wants in it to be free. See, Paul later sort of theologizes this story when he writes this. He says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. Yeah. In other words, Jesus is the solution. Yeah. Right? He's the solution. Life in him is the solution. So we have the problem and we have the solution. You say, well, that's great. That's all we need. Two-point sermon. Let's go. Right? Well, not exactly. 
One of the things that I uh, love is being a dad. One of the things I don't love is homework. And Olivia will bring homework and she brings this math to us. And, and what's so fascinating about math is, you know, you can look at an equation and, and you can say, well, what's this and this? And then you can just tell them here's the solution, right? And, and, and how we did math, or when I say we, maybe I shouldn't have put everybody in that category, but how I did math growing up, it was completely different than how Olivia did math growing up. Right? It, growing up, if we wanted to know what's the least common multiple in 12 and 20, we know the answer is 60. So when she comes up and says, Dad, what's the least common multiple in 12 and 20? I say, it's 60. Great, write down 60. But she says, Dad, I can't just write down 60. I have to write down all this other stuff. And I'm like, what is this? The answer is 60. She's like, no, I know the answer is 60, but we have to write down to make these circles and make these lines and draw arrows and do this. This, this is her notes for math. I mean, it is so intense. Like, this is how it is, right? Why? Because the algorithm matters. In other words, it doesn't just matter what, you know, the, the answer is 60, but how did you get to 60? See, the what is important, but so is the how, Right? If I were to tell you guys what to do, that's great. But then you're going to leave this room and say, wait a minute, how do I do that? Right? The algorithm. The algorithm. It's not just about the what, but the how. How did Jesus succeed? See, where Adam and Eve failed and every one of us failed, you know, he succeeds. Well, when you look at what's going on here, this is so interesting, is that two things. You see that he prays and he fasts. He prays and he fasts. In fact, there was a point in scripture where the, where, where the disciples were coming down from the mountain, remember? And, and there were other disciples on the bottom and they were trying to cast out this demon and they couldn't do it, right? And Jesus comes and does it. And then the disciples pull him aside and said, how'd you do that? You know? And he said, well, this kind, which we're not going to get into all that. What does that mean? Kinds of demons? Really interesting, right? But he says, this kind will only come out with prayer and fasting. You see? And, 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 so, and so there's something about fasting. And he fasted for 40 days. And then after he fasted, the Bible says he was weak. No, it doesn't. It says he was stronger. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he was stronger. Yeah. That, that he was at the height of his powers and, and, that he, and that he was able, he had the authority to be able to go to the tempter toe to toe and come out victorious. Woo! In fact, how did Jesus start off his kingdom work in the world? He was baptized and then he fasted with fasting. And so it comes no surprise that fasting is to be a regular rhythm in a disciple's life. To be a disciple of Christ, fasting should be a regular rhythm. And it was. When you look at Christians, it really was. In fact, so much so that, that, that this is, and this is what's crazy is, it's not like fasting started with Jesus. I mean, uh, the Pharisees fasted before Jesus came on the scene, right? Other religions fast. But what you'll soon find out is there's a distinctiveness between when Christians fast and when everyone else fasts. Yeah, right, right. But look at this, Matthew chapter 6, just a couple chapters over, right? He says this, look what Jesus says. He says, when you fast... Do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So they purposely made themselves look like crud and starving and, you know, weak and whatever, frail, whatever it is, to, to, to make it look as though they were fasting, right? 
And he says, listen, they've already got it. They got the attention. They got the applause. And everybody's like, woohoo, you fasted. Yay. Right? That was their reward. He says this, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Look at someone say, wash your face. Wash your face. Get the crusties out of your eyes. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So two things about fasting. One, Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast. Because it doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. When you fast. The second thing he assumes is that we're going to mess it up. Because he says don't do it like this. Do it like that. All right? So he assumes we're going to fast. And he assumes we're going to mess it up. How many feel good about that? <laughs> right? He assumes we're gonna... And you do. You see fasting throughout history. Let me just give you a quick, a quick uh, brief history of, of where we see this in the church. Um, Pharisees and, 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 and Judaism, they used to fast every Monday and every Thursday. They would fast every Monday and every Thursday. In fact, fasting was one of the top three spiritual practices. Top three spiritual practices. Prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. Those were the top three. Prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. Now, if I were to tell you that, you know, make a list of the top three spiritual practices, I don't think anybody here would have put fasting on that top three. I wouldn't have, right? I mean, you can just tell, just look at me when I put fasting, no, right? But just think about it. You know, I, I don't think anybody would have put fasting on the top of their list, right? But it was, it was. And the early church continued this practice of bi-weekly fasting, but then they changed it. According to the Didache, which is the earliest writing we have in the earliest church outside of the New Testament, it says this, quote, Do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites and the Pharisees. They fast on Mondays and Thursdays, so we'll fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. There are bitter Christians then too, praise God. Right? Yom Kippur and even Lent. Did you know, for those of you who grew up Catholic, uh, that Lent actually started out as 40 days of fasting, 40 days of fasting. And, and you couldn't eat meat or drink alcohol, right? It was fasting. Now, let's just be honest. Fasting as a spiritual discipline today in our culture sounds crazy. It does. Maybe you'll fast like intermittent fasting, right? So that way you can get, you know, a certain body or get a certain health and praise the Lord for that. And actually, I was just talking to Nick about this this afternoon, and, and Phil and I were talking about it earlier, which is, look, look, if you are part of this rhythm and Wednesday comes and you already eat intermittent fast, in other words, you already give up your breakfast and lunch and you do that, you know, Monday through Friday, that's already a rhythm. So Wednesdays are like, this is easy peasy, right? Nothing but a chicken wing, right? Here's the thing is that maybe just challenge yourself to like stretch that fast so that way you actually feel it. Might be something to do. But, you know, it, otherwise it's crazy. Why? Because the hedonism of our day and age says, no, no, no. Do what feels good. Instant gratification culture, right? And, and, and the idea of having to give up food almost sounds crazy, right? Why? Well, for several reasons. One, most of us, some of us, maybe just me, I don't know. We go to food for comfort, right? Right? We're excited, we go to food. We feel romantic, we go to food. We feel stressed out, we go to food. Just how it is, right? But there's also something mentally about it. 
See, when you fast, it kind of breaks that materialism, consumerism mentality that we have. Because in our minds, we think, okay, lack of food equals poverty. And poverty means I have no value. I'm not a good human being. These other human beings are better than me. And so we don't want to look like that. We don't want to feel like that. So there's something mentally to it as well. So you might say, well, then why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, Pastor John Piper defines it this way. Fasting is a whole body hungering for God. Theologian Scott McKnight defines it as this. A person, a whole body's natural response to life. Dallas Willard, theologian Dallas Willard says this. Fasting is feasting, but not on food. On our Lord and on doing his will. And on doing his will. And then my favorite pastor of all time, Pastor Philip Mwella says this. Fasting is denying the flesh in order to build up the spirit. Fasting is denying the flesh in order to build up the spirit. We have a very smart pastor, y'all. We praise God for him. Are you beginning to kind of see that fasting is more than not just eating food, right? right. right? There, and, and there are all kinds of ways to fast. You can fast corporately like we do Wednesdays as a body right now, as, as a church, we're saying no breakfast, no lunch. We're fasting corporately, right? right? But you can also fast individually. You don't have to wait for the church to call a fast. You can fast on your own. Yeah. You can do that. You can fast a meal. You can fast several meals. You can fast a day. You can fast several days, right? All kinds of fast. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, if you're pregnant, if you've suffered with eating disorders, if you, you know, have diabetes or kidney disease, then you may have to prayerfully go to the Lord and discern what does a fast look like for you in this moment. And, and, and you may have to look to other things besides food. But for the most part, fasting really is the pushing of the plate aside to deny your flesh and build up your spirit. Now, during that time when you're fasting, that time where you would normally eat, right? You can do all sorts of things. You can pray during that time. You know, you can journal during that time. You can listen to worship music. You can listen to the podcast that we've been posting every day. You know what I mean? There are all sorts of different methods to fasting and and what you can do while you're skipping that meal. All of those methods will get you closer to Jesus Christ. But listen, what's most important is this motivation over method. Motivation over method. Right? Right? Look what he said. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't do it to be super spiritual. Or or don't do it to try to manipulate God into giving you something that you're looking for. You know, know, I'm going to fast so I can kind of twist God's arms. That way I can get this thing. Right? That cannot be your motivation for fasting. Fasting, put it simply, the motivation should be to abide. To abide. In other words, to do it, to get closer, to walk closer, to be closer to Jesus. Because remember, it's not so much about the doing as it is the being. Right? Right. Being with him. And if this is your main motivation, then the results will be transformative. The results. The results. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. See that? In the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Right? Because to be loved is to sacrifice. It's to not think of yourself. It's not instant gratification. It's all about me. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, whatever. For the entire law, y'all just like, no, don't get it. Okay. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Watch this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit which is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. My goodness. Dissensions and factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the fruit that happens when we abide in Christ, when when, when the branches remain on the vine and and this trellis helps us grow, the the kind of fruit, the, the, the result of this will be this. Look at this. Love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit wow wow crucifying the flesh paul says that i die daily there's a daily crucifixion of the flesh there's a running theme in paul's writings in galatians and in romans and actually throughout the new testament of this idea of the flesh and the spirit the flesh and the spirit And that word flesh can be a little hard to really uh, translate because it does mean your physical body, but it also means more than your physical body. It it, it means sort of this disordered desires. So it has to do with your body, but not just your body, but, but these disordered desires, desires for instant gratification. I want what I want when I want it, right? Don't let anybody get in my way. That is our inner Adam and Eve. That is the part of us that is bent on rebelling against God. You see? And fasting in many ways interrupts that. In fact, fasting really interrupts our life. Right? It's an interruption. C.S. Lewis said this. He had a great line that said, how you respond to an interruption is who you really are. How you respond to an interruption is who you really are. Interruption, being cut off when you're trying to drive, right? Somebody else gets served before you do, even though you were there first. You know what I'm talking about? Like, excuse me, actually, it was me. You know what I mean? Can't make sure, can't can't let one person ahead of you, you know? Or maybe you're on a Zoom call, very important call, and your kid comes running in, and they're running and laughing and doing, you know, interruption, Right? Or maybe you got the alert that your order is ready to be picked up at the store. You drive down there, you get out, you wait in line, you get up to the desk, only to find out that it's not ready to be picked up. In fact, they don't even have it. It's not going to be here for like another two weeks. Interruption, flat tires, spilt milk, 
Interruption. How we respond to those shows who we really are. I don't know about you, but for a lot of those, I don't respond very good. I get angry. I'm frustrated, temperamental, impatient. Be quiet. <laughs> right? My wife back there. Yeah, come on. Call him out, Lord Jesus. Go on, Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Interruptions. See, what fasting does is it brings all of that out. The, the, the attitude that don't tell me what to do. My life is my own. I'm in control. And we're infected by it. Not just, not just here, but here. Do, do you see? Flesh is here as well. This is why it's kind of hard to, to, to translate because it's also mind. It's infected our mind. As we get ready to close, listen to this. The lies that kind of our mind tells us, right? The lies that try to tell us what is true and what is, what is not true and what is freedom and what is slavery and what is the way to be human and what is not. The, there are lies that happen in your mind. And if you believe the lie long enough, then you start to live those lies out. Right. See, that's our flesh. It's your disordered desires. Now, the good news is that this is dying. Its days are numbered. This, this flesh is dying. It will not make it through the, that side of resurrection to the other side, right? The, it, it, there, there's a deeper part of you that Paul calls the spirit. And that spirit is in communication with the Holy Spirit. This, in language church theology, it's called regeneration, where the Holy Spirit's regenerating you. And those are the deepest desires. Well, one thing that's helpful to think about is this, is that often your strongest desires aren't your deepest desires. In moments where you feel your strongest desires... That's not necessarily your deepest desires. So, so the moment when you feel lust or you want to project something on somebody or you want to lie to, to save face so that way nobody discovers you dropped the ball or, or you want to hit somebody because you're angry or gossip or whatever it is, that's not necessarily your deepest desires. As a Christian that is filled with the Holy Spirit, under that your spirit has another desire to be transformed by the saving work, death, burial, uh, uh, resurrection, of, of Jesus Christ. Now that you're a Christian, our deepest desires, even though they aren't always our strongest ones, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, on this side of our resurrection, we are a mixed bag of desires. We have the flesh and it has its set of desires and we have the spirit and it has its set of desires. And, and, here's, and, and here's what fasting will do. The result of fasting will be freedom. The result of fasting will be freedom. See, freedom is not what our culture, our hyper-individualistic society says freedom in, which is I should be able to do whatever I want, when I want it. Talk however I want, be with whoever I want, do whatever I want, whatever, whatever I want. Yeah. Right? Let me just do it. You do me, I do you. I mean, I do me, you do you. <laughs> or it could be the other way around. If that's what you want. That's what our society says. But according, to, but according to scripture, that's not freedom. Look at Galatians says, you do not do whatever you want. That's not how Jesus defines freedom. What our culture says is freedom, watch this. Jesus says is slavery. Wow. 
Wow. Richard Foster writes this, fasting reveals the things that control us. Ooh. Pride, anger, bitterness, fear, anxiety, selfishness, wanting to be in control, right? All of those things begin to surface, especially when you're fasting, they begin to surface. About 11 a.m., they'll hit, they'll start to show. Trust me, right? They do. Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians about those whose God is their belly. And I used to think, well, that's not me. Yeah, fast. And you realize how quickly that is you. Right? right. right? Freedom. See, when I fast, what I realize is this, is that how much power my flesh has over me and how far I am from the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give me. You see that? See, what Jesus invites you into, the rhythm, this particular rhythm, isn't a diet plan or a weight loss program. It's freedom. The freedom to deny your flesh so you can build up your spirit. The freedom to be with him. The freedom to be able to make room for him in your life so that way you can come to him and say, God, do whatever you want to do. Because I may have these strong desires, but under those strong ones are deeper desires. And those deeper desires are to follow you and to be with you and to, and, and to produce love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and these deeper desires to walk with you. And, and, and those are my deeper desires. So I'm, I want to make room so I can just be in your presence and, and be able to say, do whatever it is you want to do. Here's my will, here's, here's my agenda. Here's me, I'm tired of always having to have my hands in it and, and trying to do it and it never really works out. Anything I do is temporary. Any joy I feel is temporary. Any peace I feel is circumstantial. As long as the circumstance aligns, then I'll feel peace. But the minute my circumstance changes, here comes anxiety and worry and anger. No, 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 I want to have a deep, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. Here I am, making room, making room, so I can stand here and say, Lord, do whatever you want to do. Amen. Would you stand and respond with us? Lord, we just want to make room for you in our lives, Lord. Help us to push away the distractions, the busyness, Lord God, anything that's taking us from you, Father God. Help us to desire you above it.
our own rhythms that God we will ask the question are these rhythms life forming that are in my life currently who am I becoming with these rhythms God and as we begin to talk about maybe some rhythms we need to maybe cut back on or completely take out and instead replace with life giving rhythms God I pray Holy Spirit that you will just help us Lord to abide in you, to produce fruit that would bring you glory. I thank you so much, God, for all that you do in our lives. And I pray that this week coming up, that when Wednesday comes and we begin to fast, that we will think back on and remember what it is that you have taught us this morning. And that through it all, Lord God, that it'll be because we want to get closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.